Come on, if you know you got a purpose, make some noise in the house of God. Come on. Y'all excited? Open up your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 1. This is Metro Praise in the summer. We welcome you here. Glad you're here. If you need air conditioning help, go to those fans and cool off. Otherwise, we're going to have a good time in the house of the Lord. Keep coming during the summer, filling up the chairs, bringing your friends, because God is doing something good here. Amen? God is changing our lives. God is using us to change the world around us as he is changing us. Today, we're going to talk about our inheritance. Somebody say our inheritance. Thank you. I'm going to start off with today's introduction because I have a lot to cover, but I think today is going to be very informative to most of you. Many of you have probably not heard what I'm going to present to you because I don't want you to be deceived by lukewarm Christians. Lukewarm Christians in the world today believe that they were created to be a disembodied spirit in heaven and just to dwell there for eternity singing songs around the throne of God. Now you have to understand, certainly worshiping and doing all of these wonderful things is part of God's plan for our life, but we were not created in heaven to be angels. We were created to be on earth to have dominion and judge angels. You need to know the difference. You were not called to be Casper the ghost. You were called to be a son or daughter of God. That mentality will change everything. Some people say that you can't be heavenly minded and of earthly good. Jesus was the most heavenly minded person and he changed the earth for good. And the way we do it is we bring heaven to earth. In the very beginning, we were made in God's image, of, of made of dirt of the earth, but he breathed into us his spirit so that we could be a spiritual soul, possessing self-awareness, a conscience, free will, and be able to choose a loving relationship with him, but be in a body. Remember that. We were supposed to be in that body, but he gave us a way out to die and be disembodied, but that was never his first intention. Now the angels had already had their rebellion, and a third of them had fallen, and one, Satan, Lucifer, the son of the morning, was there at that tree. When we came there, and I say we, speaking of us being representative, every man and woman in Adam and Eve, as the Bible teaches, they were our representatives. We wouldn't have done any different. When they went there, if they would have used their dominion and put that snake right under their foot, they could have stomped him right out. Instead of them being given death, they could have put him to death and put death to death for good. And we would have forever been upon the earth living with the kingdom of God. Are you listening? You would have had heaven on earth. You would never have known sin and sorrow and sickness and any of those things that came by the curse. Now that there is a curse, this body must die. God keeps his word. Now with the rapture, we believe in that. The body can be transformed at that moment into the glorious body. But most will die and be disembodied in heaven for a season. Those who know God go to heaven. Those who who are born again by faith, uh, by grace through faith, and Jesus are born again, they go to heaven. But that's only temporary, and those who don't know the Lord go to hell, disembodied, temporary. But after judgment, everybody gets a body. The Christian gets a body like Christ. This is called the new life, and they rule and reign with Christ upon the earth for a thousand years. And why there's a thousand year reign is because God wants to show the devil, I win in the end. We don't go just to being with each other only in the 
kingdom of God. There's a period of a thousand years where we rule over whoever is left from the time of the Armageddon. Now the Bible says around a third of the earth will be destroyed in the population. So there will be about two to three billion people left at that time if it were to happen now and we'll rule over them. And then the sinners get a body of death fit for destruction thrown into the lake of fire with the devil and his angels. After that thousand year reign, he's in a pit and we get to look at him being tortured during that thousand year reign. Don't think that's crazy. That's just the Bible. Amen. You will literally, when you visit New Jerusalem, see him tied up in a pit. But he gets released at that thousand years to tempt us one more time. Not the children of God, those of us who have our resurrected body, but humanity. For those born into the kingdom of God on the earth, they'll get to make their choice. just like everybody had a choice. Adam and Eve had theirs. All of us now have ours, and then they'll have theirs. And so the idea isn't for you to be Casper the ghost. The idea is for you to rule and reign. And right now, you are to, to, to position yourself and to pray for it every single day. When Jesus taught us to pray, he said, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy what? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's why God said in Psalms, uh, Psalms 115, verse 16, The highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to who? He's given it to the devil? No, he gave it to mankind. Well, how did the devil become the lowercase g, God of this age? Because we gave him the authority. We gave him what was given to us. Now, who took it back? Jesus. That's why Jesus had to become a man. The word, the eternal logos had to become a man to get it back for man. Otherwise, man can never have the earth, and that plan would have been scrapped. Do you guys get this? If the eternal logos, remember, God is not just the Father. God is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Three distinct persons in one divine being, sharing the same substance and essence. Homo, homo usius, homo meaning one, usus meaning the, the nature. They share the same nature, yet they're distinct persons, okay? You could look at it like this. There is one God race, and there are three persons in the race of God. Just like there was made one human race, and two people in different genders made up the human race, male and female, but together they made one, okay? Three persons make our one God. Not three parts of God, but three equally sharing the essence of God. Can I hear an Amen. And they equally share the name of God, Yahweh of the Old Testament. But here's the thing. The reason why the Son, see, we were first made in his image. We sinned and had death come upon us. He could have scrapped the plan then for us to rule on this earth, in this universe. I don't believe in aliens. This is it. This is all the intelligent life that there is. Okay. He could have scrapped that plan. The, the problem with that would have been the moment he starts, he already knows the end. So all of us in the DNA code of Adam and Eve would have had to have been created anyway because he created Adam and Eve, our progenerator, our, our one that was going to procreate, you understand? And so you would have been born into hell without even having a choice. How many are happy you got to be born and make your own choice, okay? But now how is redemption going to come? Everybody says, well, we were killing animals before Jesus. That worked. Why didn't he keep doing that? That was just a type and a shadow. Here's my phone up here. There's the shadow down there. Which one do you want? Which one can you make the phone call with? The shadows were just a re reflection of Jesus, the lamb slain before before the foundation of the world. Did y'all hear that? The lamb slain in God's mind before the foundation of the world. So it wasn't something God wasn't prepared to do. When he first created us, he knew there would be a problem and he was already the problem solver, but he never made the choice for us. God's foreknowledge does not mean foredetermination. Just because God knew Adam and Eve would sin did not mean he made them to sin. Free will gave us the choice even though he knew the choice's results. Are you listening? Now here we go. Now we're born fall 
fallen, but Jesus comes as a man to get back the authority that we had lost. That's why it says in Matthew 28, at Jesus' resurrection, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Didn't he already have all the authority? He had all the authority in heaven, but who had all the authority of earth? Satan, because he had given it to mankind, and mankind gave it to the devil. See, when we gave it to him, God abides by his own laws. So God could not rightfully take it back from the devil unless he paid the price for it. Are you listening? Do you understand what a sacrifice is? A sacrifice had to be made to pay the price. And I love that C.S. Lewis drew this out in a fictional sense in the line, Witch in the Wardrobe. And so the witch thinks by killing Aslan that she's really one, but she doesn't understand that she's actually did the very thing that breaks the curse. And the devil didn't understand that. If he would have, he wouldn't have allowed them to kill him. But they were blinded by their own pride and sin because sin will make a fool out of you. Just ask Pharaoh rushing into the Red Sea that the God is parting that he's trying to get rid of. Hello. I don't want this God anymore. I want to kill off his people. And he's happening to split a Red Sea to save his people. Oh, I'll chase after him. That didn't go well for him. Sin will make a fool out of you. Look at your neighbor and say, don't be a fool of sin. And so Jesus comes to the flesh, resurrects from the dead. Why does he have to resurrect from the dead? He's not a disembodied spirit. He does that to redeem what Adam and Eve had lost. They brought death. He now brings life. Somebody say kingdom. And therefore, it's our inheritance because of the death of Jesus, what he purchased on the cross, for us to rule and reign with him forever and ever and ever. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, I can see you in the future, and you look much better than you do right now. Come on, there's a glorified body for you. I know you look good right now, but there's a glorified body for you. Come on, somebody. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, look at your neighbor and say, that was the first introduction. I've got two more to go to before I get to the message. Amen. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 is our passage. We're going verse by verse. You guys have made it through the end of this passage. Now we have two sermons just on this. And then starting in a couple weeks, we'll go to the next passage called Paul's Prayer in Ephesians. Blessed, or, or rather praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Right there we have to understand the blessings in Christ have been secured in heavenly realms, but how do they come to the earthly realms? Through you, your obedience. So you've got the inheritance there, but you've got to bring it out here. The promise has already been fulfilled. If an Old Testament saint could see what you have now, they would trade places with you. Moses would trade places with you. David would trade places with you. The greatest in the Old Testament would trade places with you right now because you don't have a limited resource. You don't have the Holy Spirit come on you and come off you as they did. You're not like David begging to be in the temple because he says a, a day here is better than a thousand elsewhere. Oh, that I could dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and to gaze upon his beauty. Are you listening? You now have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You have all the promises made possible. The heavens are open because of Jesus. You have the mediator, the gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, and now you have the revelation of both the old and the new covenants, the law of God with the grace of God. You have the spiritual blessings. It's time to manifest them. Amen? It's time to get it on in Jesus' name, for he chose us. Somebody say he chose me. Thank you. In him. It's all about in him. We don't do this on our, by ourselves, and we don't do it in a pope or religious leader. In him, in Christ, before the creation of the world, he chose us to be holy and blameless in his sight. How does God see us? Holy and blameless. How should you see yourself? Holy and blameless. When you see yourself sinless, you will sin less. 
When you see yourself clothed in the righteousness of God, you will live righteous. Trying to make yourself better, you'll never get there. Trying to be the little engine that could, you'll never get there. It's a finished work of salvation. Jesus said it's finished. Believe it. You are a new creation. You are not a creation. He is remodeling every day. You are the workmanship of God, created, past tense, in Christ Jesus for the good works before you. Sin is unbelief in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Sin is what you do when you're not satisfied with the gift God gave you. Come on, somebody. It's a contradiction. It's like being Eddie Murphy and gone to America, coming to America. You're working at McDowell's, but you're really the son of a king. You're a prince. Know who you are and live like it. Amen? He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. Some may say, I'm adopted. Amen. That's why we become co-heirs with Christ, as you will see later on, but many of you already know that scripture in Romans. In accordance with his pleasure and will, look at verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption. Some may say, we are redeemed. Thank you. Through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Remember that redemption that is here and now that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. How much wisdom and understanding do you have? All wisdom because you have God in you. You don't have a little God in you. You have all of God in you. How much wisdom does God have? God has all wisdom. So how much of God do you have? You have all of God. How much wisdom do you have? All of wisdom. Don't confuse yourself, amen. Not a mini God, not a half of God, not parts of God, all of God. If you lack wisdom, what do you do? Ask and he'll give it to you. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will. Is his will still, is his will still a mystery? No, you know the mystery of his will revealed in the word of God by the Holy Spirit teaching you all things. God's will for your life, who to marry, where to work, where to live, how to spend your money. This comes through your relationship with God. He made known to us the mystery of his will. Look at what the Bible says, Psalm 23. We know it, one of my favorite passages. I could preach every month, I mean every week, on Psalm 23, and every month just recycle it through, and we would get new nuggies out of there every single time. But listen to this part of Psalm 23. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Is there ever a path of righteousness for your life that he won't lead you down? No, every path of righteousness, he will lead you down. Lead me not into temptation, the, 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 our Father prayer. Is there any time there's a temptation that God will not lead you out of it? No, so every time you and I face a temptation, he will lead us out of it and give us the right path on your job, in your family, with your finances, with people around you, with your frenemies, with your enemies, with your haters, with everybody in between. Can I hear an amen? How many have some frenemies in their life? I don't know if they really like me, but they stalk me on Facebook. They say crazy stuff about me behind my back, and then they say they're my friend. Frenemies. You know what frenemies are, right? And sometimes they hate us because they can't be us, amen? But in Christ, everyone can have what I have. You have no reason to hate. Just celebrate. I'm not going to be jealous of what you have because if you got it from God, I'm going to get something like that too. And if it's not for me, then God is going to give me what's for me, amen? Jealousy is you wanting what God says you can't have. And it's sometimes just a matter of timing. I wanted a wife for 10 years. God said, you can't have it, son. You better learn to live holy first. God had to trust me with righty and left me by myself before he could trust me with Nancy. Hello. God had to trust me with my eyes on the computer before I could be trusted with have a wife and only have all eyes for her. Can I keep it at PG here? It's about PG-13, but amen. Are you all listening? God has to see if you're trustworthy and little so he can give you much. With all wisdom and understanding, verse 9, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. Once again, all about Jesus. Look at verse 10. To be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, there is an end of this age and the starting of another age to come. To bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Does everybody see that? Heaven and earth come together. We don't go there for very long, but heaven comes here for eternity. 
New Jerusalem comes down. Come on, somebody. A city of praise comes down. New Jerusalem becomes the capital of the world. They come together in unity under Christ. Keep going with me now. Verse 11. Verse 11 says, in him you were also chosen, predestined according to the plan. Look at your neighbor. Say, God's got a plan. Amen. Your life is not out of control. Even if you're making the mistakes right now that you shouldn't be doing, God will turn them for good if you'll repent right now. God's got a plan for you who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we who are the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. They set the standard. We come after them. Verse 13, and you also were included in Christ. Come on, how many are in Christ today? How many believe the same message Peter believed, Paul believed, all the disciples believe you're in Christ? Amen. You believe this message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked and sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. This is our verse for today. Let's read it. One, two, three. Who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. That's today's message. You notice that it goes with a comma from last week's passage. So we have to understand the who here. Who is the who? It's the Holy Spirit. Come on, who's the who right here? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our deposit. He is our guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. Well, I thought we were already redeemed. Didn't it say above we were already redeemed and washed by his blood? But now it's saying we're waiting for a redemption. How many remember that message, the two redemptions of God? Point to where the first redemption has already come and been completed. Right here, you have been redeemed. Your soul has been washed, made new. You are saved. You are born again. Right now, on the inside, God has purchased you. Redeemed means to buy out of slavery. Your master ain't the devil anymore. You got a good master. His name is Jesus. Amen. And he said, you don't just have to call me master. He said, you can call me friend. Aren't you happy? Jesus said, you can call me friend. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. He'll be better to you than you've ever been to yourself. Trust Jesus. Amen. How many know there's a lot of problems, but there's one problem sovereign. His name is Jesus. Jesus is the answer for the world today. This is an old Andre Crouch. Above him there's no other. Jesus is the way. <laughs> That's old gospel right there. Some of y'all need to get on Andre Crouch. But the deposit is the Holy Spirit telling us that there's more to come. And that coming redemption is what we're looking for. So where is the coming redemption going to come? Point to where that's at. To your body, amen. It's coming to our body. Our soul and spirit is saved, but our body still remains the same as a curse of death. It's going to die. It needs to be redeemed. It needs to be given a new life. It needs to be given what Jesus had when he raised from the dead. And so this is where we tie it together right now. We have the spiritual blessings in heavenly places. We have the adoption of sonship. We know the mystery of God's will. We have salvation in the message of truth, and we even have the Holy Spirit, which by the way is not a miniature God. He is as fully God as the Son and the Father are God. As we learned in John 14, Jesus said, I will go away, but I'll send another Elion in the Greek, another of the same kind, and the Father and I will make our abode in you, and he will be with you forever. He'll be your parakletos in Greek, your defender, and he will be your empowerer. He will be your deliverer. Amen. So if you have the Holy Spirit, do you have God? So if God has moved on the inside of you, saved and redeemed your soul, do you think he's going to give you a new body at the resurrection? Will he keep his promise on the day of redemption? 
Amen. I believe it. These are the messages you've heard thus far in this passage. We started the book of Ephesians in February. We're going through it verse by verse. We'll probably finish Ephesians sometime when my kids are in college around 2030, 2020. But uh, we are making it through, and we're learning. How many are learning from the book of Ephesians? Are you learning? Are you reading on your own, growing in faith? Amen. Here's the, the, um, the de definitions for today. Guaranteed deposit, obvious. We know what this is, but it's good to remind ourselves. It's a down payment, advance part of the purchase, and it's a pledge for more to come. So the Holy Spirit says, if you think it's good now, wait till you see when the kingdom come. It gets a lot better. The Holy Spirit says to us now, Jesus is with you, and he promises us, or rather is the amen of all the promises. Jesus is amen too. So the Father gave a promise. Jesus said amen to it, and the Holy Spirit's in us going, amen. He's echoing what Jesus had said. As a matter of fact, the Holy Spirit never speaks on his own. He only speaks what Jesus says. But he is not lesser than Jesus. The next thing that we learn is that there's an inheritance, and this is what I want to spend our time talking about today. Somebody say inheritance. Thank you. And just as there are two time frames of redemption, there are two time frames of the inheritance. There's the now, and then there's the to come in the future. I am redeemed now, but I will be redeemed in the future. I have an inheritance now, but there's another greater inheritance to come in in the future. And so what we're supposed to do is take on the, the role here as sons and daughters of God and live out our inheritance for the kingdom's sake, waiting for his kingdom to fully come and be revealed. And so the inheritance are things given to another by way of their death according to a will. And so who had to die for us to get the inheritance? Now you get it. Isn't it awesome? We get the promises of the Father in Jesus because he died. And what's the will? The will is the old covenant and everything that God promised. Jesus had 300 verses predicting his first coming, but there are eight times as many, 2,400, talking about the second coming and the kingdom to come. Just open up the book of Isaiah one day and ask yourself, has this happened? No, so that means it's going to happen. Lying, laying with lamb, all of these blessings coming to the nation of Israel. That's what we're looking forward to, and that's why it's important to understand there's a partial, or we should say a pre-inheritance before pre-kingdom coming inheritance, and then there's a post-coming uh, kingdom inheritance. So there's one we have now and one to come. Let's look at these scriptures that talk about the inheritance, most of them being from Paul. Starting with Acts 20, verse 32, it says, Now I commit to you to God, commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you what? An inheritance among those who are what? How many are sanctified? Can I hear an Amen. Amen. Are you saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost and fire? Amen. Well, you need to listen to Paul then, because that's Paul being quoted by the, the historian Luke there in Acts. He says, I commit you to God in the word of his grace so that you can be built up and have an inheritance. There is not a socialist kingdom to come, my friends. This is not Bernie Sanders' way. This is Jesus' way. I don't want to get political right now, but listen to me, my friends. You don't get handouts in the kingdom. You say, well, what about faith? Isn't it free? Yes, you get the faith by free, but then you have to work the works that God has given you by your your choice. Listen to Ephesians chapter 2. We are saved by grace through faith. And then it goes down to it. That's Ephesians 2 8. Then Ephesians 2 10 says, as I quoted before, we are the workmanship of God created in Christ Jesus to do good works. So, my friends, your rewards are not going to be my rewards. My inheritance is not going to be your inheritance. You look at the parables of the Bible, everything is based on the kingdom. By the way, Jesus' only thing he talked about was the kingdom. 
No one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. How many remember that scripture? Kind of important. You can't see it unless you're born again. And then what about this? The kingdom of God is like a man who had three stewards. He gives them three bags of gold, one big bag of gold, one medium-sized gold bag of gold, and another he gives them a small bag of gold. He goes on a journey. He says, I'll be back when you don't expect me, but I want you to work and multiply. The one who had the big bag of gold worked hard, got another bag of gold, was rewarded. The one who had a medium-sized bag of gold got rewarded, and the one who had a small bag of gold buried it and he said take that bag of gold away from him cast him out into the lake of fire and he got real spiritual at that point went from a parable to being literal cast him out to the lake of fire and give that bag of gold to the one who has the most you want to talk about a capitalistic Jesus come on somebody it's only the hard work that pays off when it comes to inheritance I'm not saved by good works but I'm saved unto good works this will change the way you live in this life because many of you want to bury your treasure under your job. You want to bury your treasure under your family, and you will lose it. You will lose it in the kingdom to come. But here's the deal. If you give your family to God, you can keep your family in the kingdom to come. You know, if you raise them in the right way, you give your job to God. You can keep all the finances that you sow into the kingdom, and you can even have 30, 60, 100-fold is that me trying to bribe you and take up another offering, or is that what Jesus said? Don't store for yourself treasures on earth, but store for yourself treasures in heaven. How many want treasures in heaven? Amen. Galatians 3.18. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it's no longer the promise. But God, in his grace, gave it to Abraham through a promise. So how do we get the inheritance? By being goody-two-shoes and keeping the law? No, we get it by grace. We get the inheritance by grace, or what we could say, the ability to receive it, but then it determines how much of the inheritance I get based on what I do now by grace and the works that God called me to do. Some people think it's only grace for salvation. It's grace for good works. How do I do good works? By grace. How was I saved? By grace. How do I be the father that that God called me to be by grace. Right now, my eight-year-old is about ready to start fourth grade. They do two grades a year. We do homeschooling, not saying everybody has to do what we do, but by grace, I'm teaching my children that they're going to be leaders in this world. I want them to graduate high school and go to college by the time they're 18. By the time they're 18, my goal for my children is that they have a bachelor's degree in biblical studies, and then at 18, they can do whatever they want. I will have raised them according to the plan that God gave me. Some of the people that I look up to had their children as PhDs around the age of 18 as well. You can see them online. They've been on different talk shows. They do two grades a year. They're working hard because the Bible says redeem the time because the days are evil. The Bible says do the most that you can while it's day because when it's night, nobody shall work. And the promise that I have for this and my, and my family is, is God told me, you teach them the ways that they should go, and when they're old, they won't depart. So I'm going to get them to graduate high school around 14, have them take college from 14 to 18, get their first bachelor's degree in biblical studies, and at 18, they can do whatever they want. They can go get their PhDs, their doctorates, become lawyers, nurses. My daughter can fulfill her dream to work in a salon. She'll be the most Bible-educated person in that salon. But I'll tell you what, she'll go do that. And I'll, and I'll bless them because I'll say, I did what I can do between now and 18. I'm redeeming the time. Amen. I'm redeeming the time. You better make the most out of the time. You get it by grace, but grace compels us to work. Ephesians 1.14, you've already read. Ephesians 1.18, Paul speaking in the next portion we'll get to. Look at Paul's prayer. Somebody say, get woke. Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. I pray you get woke up in order that you may know the hope to what she has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. I pray some of you get woke beyond the hope, uh, uh, get woke to a hope that's beyond the scope of human limitations. I had to work on that. Get woke beyond the scope 
of your human limitations. You got to get woke to the hope because here's the deal. Many of you are just working nine to five and nine to five ain't going to love you so don't love it. But if you do it unto God, you can love God in the nine to five and love what you do. Do it all unto the Lord. But if you just try to love your job, my friends, it don't matter what job you have. It won't love you back. Well, I'll be a doctor. All those patients won't love you back. Maybe a few, but not many. Oh, I'm going to go be a humanitarian. Oh, you, you know, you think they're going to love you? No, they're not all going to love you back. You'll be depressed. Come on, I meet people all the time. They're depressed, trying to help people. Some of the ones that help the people the most have the most problems or dealing with internal struggle. Listen to me. I can't even love you for your sake in that sense. Like, well, I just love the ministry. I love the church. No, I have to love you for Christ's sake. I have to see Christ in you and it all coming around Christ. Christ is the gear that turns the wheels. Is Christ turning the wheels of your job? Is Christ turning the wheels of your career? Is Christ turning the wheels of what you're doing? If you have that attitude, then you will enjoy everything that you do. Whether you're Joseph being thrown into a pit, being put as a slave in Potiphar's house, or being lied on and put in prison, or brought before Pharaoh, you will be blessed in all that you do. Amen? Ephesians 5, 5, Paul said this again, for of this you can be sure. Look at your neighbor and say, you can be sure of this. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. So do I love you enough to tell you the truth? Yeah, I want Ellen DeGeneres to get an inheritance in the kingdom of God. That's why I got to tell her right now she can't get none. Because she's impure. She's got to repent. She's got to be made holy by the blood of Jesus the same way I came. Amen? Homosexual, lesbian sin will be forgiven just like perverted drug use and sin. Can I hear an amen? Prideful, religious sin will be forgiven just like angry, murderous sin. How many believe in jailhouse ministries? Come on. But any impure, immoral, or greedy person cannot inherit the kingdom of God. God calls them an idolater. So make sure that you're on the right side of the cross. Amen? I'm on the shouting side of the cross. I'm not the one putting them there anymore. I'm on the one that he saved. Amen. And when he said, it is finished, it is for me. It is for me. I accept him as my Savior. Colossians 3.24, Paul again says, since you know. Somebody say, I know it. Amen. You're being taught it right now. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. How many know you're going to get it rewarded? Amen. And Paul says there's various rewards that you'll have on the day of judgment. Like I said, we all won't have the same reward. And you know what I, thought, I talked to one young man wanting to do ministry? I said, wouldn't it be something in the parable of those who had the bags of, goals, if those, uh, bags of gold, if those of us who were in the front actually had the littlest, but those who sat in the pew had the most? Because God entrusted those who had the most to be able to work and to serve. Because you can only put one person up here, right? Everybody else has to listen to them. So maybe this was the easiest thing to do. And the Bible says the servants will be the greatest. So on judgment day, when you're looking to see what my reward is, you're like, Joe's got to be the one with the big bag of gold. What if it was God just gave me the little bag of gold? But I'm going to be faithful with my little bag of gold, my talents, as it says, right? I'm going to be faithful. I don't know what I have compared to you. You may have a much bigger one than me. I know there's a lot of people we don't even know that are going to be rewarded greatly in the kingdom of God. And we need to be faithful with each one of our callings. That's why I believe in the freedom of Christ. Let God guide and direct your life. Here are the, here are the basics. Here are the moral standards, the framework for our life. And then Lord will, God will tell you where to shop and buy your clothes. I got people that shop at, uh, people in this church that want to shop at thrift 
stores. Why? Because it's not worth buying at malls, right? I got people that buy at malls because they don't like buying somebody else's clothes. To each one, let the master tell them what to do. Amen? Somebody here says, I like to homeschool. Somebody says, I get them out of the house so they can go to school. Amen? That's what my mom did. My mom was a mother of one, me. I was an only child, and she didn't homeschool me, but she was a stay-at-home mom. I always kind of teased her. I was like, what are you doing, mom? And she's like, well, I find something to do. You know, she'd clean the house, whatever. Some of you wish you had the luxury to do that, but you know what? We're not here to judge. As long as they keep God first, God will direct them. But all of us will be judged and rewarded accordingly. Can I hear an amen? Hebrews 9.15 says, for this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant. Who's our mediator in the new covenant? Christ, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, so that now those that uh, now that he has died as the ransom to set free those who are in sin committed under the first covenant. Now here's the problem. The reason why many people don't live for an eternal inheritance is because they're still in their sins. You see, you can't have your mind on an internal inheritance while you're living in your sin. The Bible says Moses traded the pleasures of Egypt to do the suffering to be mistreated with the people of Israel because he believed in a real God that was going to reward him for it. And some of you, you don't want to trade the little bit of sand that you have in your hand for the mansion that God is about ready to give you. Hello. And the problem is it's because you love sin. Somebody say, Mui Mall. Sin is very bad. Don't love sin. Love God, even if it costs you something, even if serving. Jesus costs you houses and lands and all types of things, freedom, even if it costs you friendships, isn't it going to be worth it in the eternal kingdom to come? I mean, just look up here. I'll do my best with this example. Imagine this is just a thousand years and you live just this amount of time, right? And then this amount of time to this amount of time, okay, is the rest of the 1,000 years. Let's say it's 900 years. You live 100 years, there's 900 years. What would you trade in this uh, 90 years or 100 years for the 900 years. What would be worth it for you? Let's say you would say, well, I would be a king, a ruler of the world for 100 years, and then for these next 900 years, I'll be in solitary confinement. Would you make that trade? But now let's look at it in the reality of what God talks about. You get 100 years compared to eternity. Keep drawing that line past the lake, past Canada, and what are you trading it for? Hell. Any person here that does not have Christ, let me be serious with you. The inheritance is not what you have. You have the curse, and that is of punishment. So is there any life, as Jesus said, that you could possibly live here that would be worth going to hell over? Yes or no? No, absolutely not. How many want to go to heaven? When I say heaven, you say yeah. Heaven, heaven. When I say hell, you say no. Hell, hell. No, y'all don't want hell. Amen. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go to a place he would later, later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and went. Look at what Abraham did. What did he do? He obeyed and went. What did he do? Obeyed and went. That's what you got to do. You got to follow God on the journey of faith. There's an inheritance for you. And he didn't even know where he was going, it says. How many know sometimes the walk of faith? You don't know where you're going, but you're trusting God who knows where it's at, right? I love what uh, Corey Tim Boone said. I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know who holds tomorrow. How many believe that? Amen. I'm not afraid to trust the one who holds tomorrow in his hands. First Peter 1.4, he says, you've been called into an inheritance that can never perish, that can never spoil or fade. This is an inheritance kept in heaven for you. And where is it coming? It's coming to this earth. It's coming in the resurrection. That's what we're talking about, the redemption of God's people. Look at your neighbor and say, that was the second introduction. 
I've got to get through my third introduction before I can get to the message, okay? I'm, trust me, have I wasted any time? Have I told you about my bike riding stories or about my kids or about what I barbecued? I am sweating. I am speaking as fast as this Italian engine can go, okay? Here we go. I want you to look at that passage specifically that we went through. I could go through the entire Bible and show you the now and later of the redemption, the now and later of the inheritance, the now and later of the promise of God. But for your exegetical pleasure, that means exegeting the text and showing you what comes out of it, I will commit myself just to the words you have already read to show you what you have now and what you are waiting for. Can I hear an amen? Now in Christ you are blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. Now you have been made holy and blameless in God's sight. You have been lovingly adopted and brought into sonship, freely given God's glorious grace, redeemed by Jesus' blood, forgiven of all sin, lavished with God's wisdom and understanding. You can shout at any time. Made to know the mystery of God's will, chosen and predestined for God's plan, marked and sealed by the promised Holy Spirit. Somebody say thank you, Jesus. Come on, give him a hand clap of praise. We love you, Lord. Woo, hallelujah. I mean, that would be enough right there. But there's more, praise God. There is more. He says, not only is that all what I give you, and it's guaranteed by the Holy Spirit who will never leave you. He says, this is what you have to look forward to, a bodily resurrection. Now, this is that bone that I have to pick with the churches today. Not that I'm mad at pastors because maybe they're just busy preaching other things. And maybe they think people will get carried away. I don't know because you are going to hear some bold things today from the, the scriptures. But I don't hear much about kingdom living now. And I think that goes into our passion at this church of winning souls and making disciples. Because you can't do that without getting discouraged quickly if you don't have your mind set on the prize. you got to set your eye on the prize. That's why the early church, they said, go ahead burn us, burn us, because we know where we're going, and we know we're going to do a U-turn and come right back, and we're going to be in charge. Read the story of Ignatius. Read the story of Fox's Book of Martyrs to learn how they would rejoice and sing hymns even while they were being burned alive. As a matter of fact, during some of the most excruciating times of persecution, especially during the reign of Nero, that psychotic ruler of Rome, even the Roman soldiers would convert to Christianity as they watched the faith of those who were dying, and they said, dear God, this must be right. Just like the centurion soldier had felt the earthquake and saw the sun go black at three in the afternoon at the crucifixion of Jesus, he cried out and became a Christian at that point. Listen to me, my friends. We need to understand that there is a cost to pay to being a Christian, but it is worth it. The price that you pay now will be rewarded in the age to come. And what I love about Jesus is he didn't bribe us with it in sexual terms like Muhammad did with his warriors. Oh, you'll have 70 virgins and you'll have the finest. No, no. He doesn't bribe us with it, but he tells us that we will be rulers and kingdom priests with him. And he tells us, set your eyes on that. Is it any coincidence that every time the disciples have the chance to ask a question, they don't ask about angels in heaven. They don't ask about the intricacies of the Trinity. They don't ask about the past in dinosaurs. Every time the disciples get a chance to ask Jesus a question, what is their question? When is the kingdom coming? When do we get to rule with you? Can I sit on the left and my brother on the right? What will it be like? Will we be given in marriage? Every question they asked was about the kingdom because that's all that Jesus talked about was the kingdom. 
We have a day of redemption to look forward to. And then number two, ruling and reigning with Christ. Look at your neighbor and say, it's time for the message. And the remaining 10 minutes that I have, here is the message. Lord, help me. You need to understand this inheritance now. The inheritance that you have and the inheritance that's coming. The idea is that we are now adopted. The idea is that now we have the Holy Spirit and we can believe God for everything according to his will. And whatever we don't see come to pass here, we can trust it will come to pass in the age to come. Let me just give you an example. Many of you have godly dreams and visions of what you would do if you won the lottery or $100 million was put into your hand, what you would do. And I've known good Christians to live like this. And maybe they've died and they didn't see it come to pass. God was prepping you for the kingdom to come. At the resurrection, you'll be brought back and he'll say, here's a $100 million budget to revamp the schools of Chicago. Remember, we're we're not disembodied spirits in the kingdom, and we're not ruling over Caspers the ghost. Are you listening to me? The Christian church will rule and reign over the two or three billion people left for a thousand years. Can I hear an amen? Now, let's see if this was important to Jesus. Your inheritance is in the kingdom. Acts chapter 1, the story of the church says, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote to you. Paul is uh, traveling with a man named Luke. Luke writes Acts and the book of Luke. He's a historian, but he was also a medical doctor by trade. He said, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions to the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them, and he gave them many convictions convincing proofs that he was alive. How long do you think that went on for, you know? Like Thomas said, well, I got to touch him. And then maybe somebody else said, no, but I really want to see you float through the sky. I don't know what he had to do here. But eventually they had to believe this is not a ghost. It's not a mirage. It's not his twin brother. It's not the Da Vinci Code. He didn't partially die soon and then go Mary Magdalene, Mary Magdalene and start having babies all over. You know, he's really alive. He convinces them. Now watch this because 50 days after his resurrection, uh, it comes, a Passover comes Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, right? Now watch this. He appeared to them for over a period of how many days? And he spoke about selling books. And he spoke about Christian TV. And he spoke about your best life now. All those things are fine. But what did he speak about? The kingdom of God. How many days? 40 days. What do you talk about every day? See, you want God to put your, your kingdom first, and he's saying there's only one kingdom that comes first. It's mine. You want God to bless your job. Why don't you get on his job? Put God first in all that you do, and he'll put you first in all that you do. Oh, come on, somebody. Come on. How many of you want dreams for your kids to go to college and all that? I know some of you do, but is it more important than the dream God has for them? Some of you may say, I just want God's will for my kids. Okay, what if God says I want them to join the missionaries we support in the Congo right now? See, are you really raising up kingdom kids or are you raising up kids with the American dream? You'll see that be tested when some of these young people become Bible college students. Parents came here from another country, worked very hard to provide for their family, and the entire time they're, you know, twisting that wrench, working, doing their job. They're thinking, my child's going to be a doctor. My child's going to be a lawyer. And they're even going to church, right? I'm believing God for this. And then their child says, I want to go to Bible college. Get mad at them. Almost disown them. Well, I thought you were a Christian, Mom. I thought you were raising up kingdom kids. Now, can they be a great doctor? Yes, they can. I put up five billionaires with a B. Somebody say billionaires who are Christians on my Facebook after I preach this message because I am not telling anybody here to just do ministry because that's the only way you can please God. We can all be ministers to the Lord. But what I am telling you is you better put that job under the kingdom. 
you better seek first the kingdom and his righteousness because he was not plain when he told you that's how you're going to be judged. Some of you may go into the kingdom, as Paul said, by the skin of your teeth and all your rewards will be burnt up. You'll be working with the janitors there. And that will be your eternal reward. Remember, what you do here is what impacts what you do there. Is what you're living for worth Christ dying for? Are you setting yourself up for an eternal reign with Christ? Forty days he talked about the kingdom. He then says to them, don't leave Jerusalem until you get the power of the Holy Spirit. Now look at verse eight, uh, verse 6. rather. Lord, are you going to at this time restore the kingdom? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the dates or the times the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive what? Power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Where are you supposed to place God in your life? Number one. And you are to be a witness for all that you do for him. God is number one. He's the gears that turn the table. So the kingdom of God is in Jesus. Number two, Jesus talked about there being thrones in the inheritance to come. Jesus said, Matthew 19, 28, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones. Let me just give you a picture of this day from the book of Revelation. How many believe the book of Revelation? Does it reveal things to you? You know what it reveals about this day? The day of Armageddon, over 300 million people die. The blood is as high as a horse's head for 144 miles, and Jesus steps on people as a person steps on grapes. My friends, you don't want your friends to be there. I don't want Ellen DeGeneres to be there. I don't want RuPaul to be there. I don't want little Wayne to be there. I don't want Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton to be there at the judgment when God comes to pour out his wrath. How many have a heart now to go reach some people? Is it any wonder that when we get our eyes off the prize, we start doing all these other things? But when we start getting our eyes on the kingdom coming, we actually start caring about souls now. And we start becoming like D.L. Moody, that old shoe salesman that said, hey, I work for eight hours. I sleep for eight hours. What am I doing with my other eight? Might as well make a difference in the kingdom. And he does it with his own money. And he starts to pay for these children to come from the slums at that time in the inner city of Chicago. And he motivates them in his Sunday school to learn and to be discipled by saying, I'll buy you a new suit or a set of shoes if you learn these scriptures. Oh, to God that we would tell our children, there ain't no more karate. There's no more ballet until you can quote John 3.16. There's no basketball practice. There's no more football practice until you you live like Jesus told you to live. Oh, to God that we would flip the script. And then one day, what happens? The preacher that he would always have do it didn't show up. He wasn't even in charge of preaching. He paid for the church to function but didn't even speak. Why? Because he was a shoe salesman. Didn't even speak good English. They said it was hard to understand him because he himself was uneducated. And when the preacher didn't show up, God said, you're the preacher. He argued with God until God said, no, you're the one. He preached and never stopped preaching. And you see that place downtown. God can make a difference in anyone's life who says, I'll be kingdom-minded. Put God's kingdom first, and he'll put your business first. Put God's family first, and he'll put your family first. Put God in your wallet, amen, and he'll put your wallet on, on multiplication, amen. Let God bless you. 
You'll sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Look at verse 29. This applies to you and me and everyone. Somebody say everyone. Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. There's a day where every wrong is made right. I want you to think about this. Jesus steps on the nations, sets up Israel, and makes Jerusalem the capital of the world. Twelve thrones are set up, my friend. This is, any, this is greater than any sci-fi you have ever seen. By the way, this is the imitation that Egyptians tried to do because they heard about this through Noah's gen genealogy. This is why the men tried to be gods all throughout the pagan history. And now we just call it sci-fi and American idol, but men still try to be gods. But you will see that kingdom come, and it will make Dubai look like a garbage dump. The, the kingdom will be built in Jerusalem. The wonder of the world will be there. Satan will be tied up in a pit. Thrones will be established. Who takes Judas's place? Well, the disciples picked Matthias and voted for him by drawing straws, but Jesus picked Paul by knocking him off a donkey. I believe it's Paul's, the 12th apostle. And they will judge the world, and we will be there with them. How much have you given up for the kingdom? To that amount is what you will be multiplied back. Now, I'm not saying you have to go leave your wife and do something that's horrible, but the Bible says that it will cost you something to follow Jesus. And whenever you do it, you should do it with joy. Anybody ever hear that song, I have decided to follow Jesus? Though none go with me, I have decided. That was written by Mr. Singh. S-I-N-G-H. You can look him up. He was a man that was one to the Lord in India. He gave his heart to Jesus, was renounced by his whole entire Sikh family. And as he had to go around the world, uh, go around that, that, that Indian countryside preaching the gospel, he said, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided. I have decided to follow Jesus. One more time. And I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. No turning back. How many are giving up something for Jesus today? Amen. I don't want to have to give you up for Jesus, but I will. I'll go back to preaching in my house if I have to. Amen. And I'll get a hundredfold return. I didn't get a big amen on that, but you don't want me to sell out to the crowd, do you? There's too many preachers that have sold out. I'm not saying big churches are bad. I love a lot of the good ones that are out there, but I'm just telling you, do you want me to sell out for the crowd to be a people pleaser? No, I'm going to sell out for Jesus. If my son doesn't want to serve Jesus, I'm going to serve Jesus. One of my best friends, his son right now is not serving Jesus. You know, Franklin Graham, Billy Graham's son, was a backslider, broke his father's heart for many years, and I'm watching my good friend, a wonderful preacher. If he would preach in this church, he would tear the place apart in Jesus' name and build it back up, and we'd be awesome. And I'll just tell you what, though, watching him lose his son to the world. I mean, he's still alive, but, you know, it's like, like the prodigal son. It's like his son is dead to him in that way because his son's doing drugs and all of those things, but he knows God's got a plan for his heart. No matter how much it breaks his heart. He's decided, I'm following Jesus. Amen. And he's praying for that which was dead to come back alive and come back to him. Amen. Jesus promised that the rule would come first for a thousand years. We've talked about that. Here it is in Revelation chapter 20, verses 4 and onward. It said, I saw thrones, and on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus Christ. Where are they beheading people right now, saints? 
We must be getting close to the end. If Islam's preferred way to kill us is by beheading us, and the Bible talked about this 2,000 years ago, and during most of the time of the human history, this would have been barbaric. You would have thought this was crazy, but somehow it's become popular again. But those who were beheaded now have authority to judge because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the Word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or its image, that one world governmental ruler possessed by Satan, and had not received its mark on their forehead or hands. Look at this. They Somebody say they. You are in that they. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. How many want to be there for that? The first resurrection are all those who live for Jesus before Armageddon and the thousand-year rule come. Those who die in the thousand-year rule, even if they're Christians, they'll have to wait for another resurrection when, the, as I said, the new heavens and new earth are created and then hell is thrown into the lake of fire. The second death has no power over them. They will be what? Priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. Isn't that beautiful that God promised that to you? To be a priest of God, to rule and to reign. So now just imagine this. Kingdom comes to earth. Armageddon has happened. Thousand-year rule, rule is established now. Where is God going to place you? God may call you to be the governor of Illinois. And literally, there will be a throne wherever he wants that capital to be. People will come to you for answers. You will be indestructible. Your body will be like Jesus, able to walk through walls. You will be able to control the weather like the prophets did. You will be able to heal sicknesses and diseases and you will be their judge and jury. You will rule and reign with Christ. Then those of us will rule and reign in cities. We will be in charge of the schools and the education. The Bible says if someone dies in that thousand-year reign at 100 years old, they've died as a babe. Why? Because we're going to keep them from sexually transmitted diseases. People are going to begin to focus on their health and live well. And the Bible says that we will be there to guard them from violence and destruction. And why does he do this before he then finally judges everybody and it's all Ultimately hell and ultimately, I mean, lake of fire and ultimately new heavens and earth. He does that because he created us for earth. He wants to show the devil, I win. I have kingdom rulers with dominion upon this earth. Lions laying with the lamb. We can hang out with the animals again and show that we win. Satan loses trophies of God's grace. Amen. And the Bible also says, praise God, the Bible also says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 that we get to judge the fallen angels as well. So I cannot wait to judge them demons that messed with me all throughout this time right here. I'm going to say, you foul thing, come right here. I got a special place in the lake of fire just for you. Amen. And, <laughs> and I believe this. How many believe the Bible? How many believe all these things of sci-fi have only kind of imitated what the Bible says? I love what C.S. Lewis said. Remember, he did the Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, as I talked about before. He was good friends with J.R.R. Tolkien, who did the Lord of the Rings. These men said that myth have to have some type of an original. If there's a copy, where's the original? So why are all these men copying rulership and kingdom, kingdom, you know, kingdoms like Egypt and Babylon and, and, and Rome? Where did their original idea for all of these things come from, power and all of this. That's why he believes that myth was created as an idolatry to God's truth, that Jesus is the original myth or the truth that the myths were based off of. How many believe that? How many believe when you watch Star Wars, you're just watching a cheap imitation of Jesus, the chosen one? Amen? How many believe it's not a force, it's the Holy Spirit, and he defeats the devil every single time? How many believe that? And how many believe you're going to be like Thor from Asgard ruling over the nations? Amen? You don't need to have long hair and be like that, but you will have a glorified body. You will rule the nations like Thor wishes he could. Amen? 
Now who's going to be ruled over? It says in Isaiah 61, 4 through 7, one of the many of the 2,400 passages found in the Old Testament promises this. They will rebuild the ancient ruins. So listen to me. We will literally be building. It will not be ethereal. It will not be dreamlike. You will literally pick up hammers and work. You will command other men to work and rebuild the ancient ruins. As I said before, Dubai will look like a garbage dump compared to how beautiful we make Israel and the tribes and those cities look. Restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. This is how we know it wasn't the first coming. And by the way, whenever you speak with a Jewish person, this is their biggest argument. The argument of the Jews of that day was, if, it's, if you're really the Messiah, all of it would happen. But we had to teach them, and Jesus would always teach them, and this is our message to them. First he comes to conquer our heart, then he comes to conquer the world. Amen? First he comes as a suffering servant, fulfilling the priestly role as the sacrifice. Second, he comes as the King of kings and Lord of lords. We rebuild. Strangers will shepherd your flocks. This is where I get a little sassy sometimes, and I say, uh, Mark Zuckerberg will have to give me the keys to Facebook, and he can take care of the, uh, the Wi-Fi, okay? Because this is what it says. Strangers will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards, and you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations. Trump Tower will be called Jesus Tower, and in their riches, you will boast. You'll say, Hillary Clinton, I'll take that jet from you now. Even though I don't need it, I still want it, and you don't get to have it. Have it. Verse 7, instead of your shame, let me pause here. Let me, just, boop, let me just pause. We don't believe in jihad, but there is an imitation that they have that we have forgotten. The kingdom suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. We need to be kingdom-minded, building kingdom, knowing we will rule and reign, but we are not doing it through force. When Roman Catholicism started carrying the sword instead of the Bible, they suffered as Jesus told them they would. When, when Jesus said to Peter, as Peter cut off the ear, Jesus said, those who live by the sword die by the sword. The moment we got into holy wars and imperialism and tried to make it happen, we were no worse than the jihadis, even though they started it, it wasn't the way we handle our problems. I believe in defensive war. I believe in God blessing our military, you defending yourself, etc. The slap that you turn a cheek to is a persecution, but if someone's hurting your family, you can defend yourself, but we are not to violently take in the physical this world. But spiritually, we fight the devil who is the enemy of the flesh, who is the one who uses demonic mindsets to possess Hitler and so forth. Are you listening? But the day will literally come, not by my doing, but by Jesus, there'll be a transfer of wealth to the kingdom of God. The wicked, the Bible said, store up their wealth for the righteous. How many believe that? And in their riches, you will boast. Okay, we'll give little Wayne a run for his money, how we boast in his gold chains at that time. We'll say, you like it, little Wayne? I got it now. Oh, y'all get it. I thought we were just supposed to be humble, pastor. Well, what does it say right here? And in their riches, you will. How many are excited the day God hands you Trump Tower? How many, I mean, I'm just being honest. How many are going to be excited when he says, yours? How many are going to be happy when he says, school system, it's yours. No more corruption. It's yours. But what do we say to them now? If they misunderstand us, put us on Facebook, and next thing you know, I'm on Oprah Winfrey trying to explain this. Listen to me. What we say to him is we're saying, you can join us. You can keep all that you give to the kingdom. You can keep all that you give to God. God never asks us to give him something that he's not going to give us back a hundredfold. Oprah can keep whatever she gives to God. Ellen DeGeneres can keep whatever she gives to God. But whatever the wicked keep for themselves, it goes back to God. And then ultimately, let's not think now violently and subjugating people, but ultimately, who owns the land that Facebook has all the servers on? And who owns that land? Did, did Mark Zuckerberg create Texas or wherever he put all those service? service? 
Did he create the wires that they're made out of? Did Mark Zuckerberg even create the brain that he uses to operate Facebook? So who does it all belong to anyway? Amen. Now here's how we're going to close out. Band, would you come please? Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. How many sometimes are persecuted by this world? They try to make you feel ashamed for loving Jesus. Oh, you go to that crazy church. Instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. Somebody say, my inheritance. There's an inheritance for you, and you will inherit. This is not just a, a, a prosperity preacher trying to get another offering. This is a promise from the Bible. You will inherit a double portion in your land. See, whatever you give up, you get back for the kingdom. Whenever you sow money into the mission field, you get back. And he said a hundred times, not me. Whatever you give up in relationship, you get back. Whatever you give up in suffering, you get back. And the Bible says an everlasting joy will be yours. We talked about what would you trade this little amount for all of that for. My friend, this is what we have to look forward to is everlasting joy. Is it worth everlasting pain? It's not. I'm not going to take everlasting pain for a little bit of this world. Everlasting joy is worth for a little bit of pain, right? And I know I said that wrong, but you get my point. Is everlasting joy worth 80 years of pain? What if God said, I'm going to send you to Africa, and they're going to kill you, your children. They're going to do just like they're doing right now in Sudan. Would you do it knowing there's a kingdom to come? I would. I wouldn't say I would like it, obviously. That's, 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 that's crazy. But the idea is we're kingdom-minded. And that's where I think a lot of us deal with depression, a lot of people deal with anxiety, is because we're holding on to the wrong things. We're not understanding this principle that God taught us through Paul. If you are children, then you are heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his what? In his sufferings in order that we may share in his glory. So before we leave, I want us to pray, but just look at that because that's where I think a lot of us are at today. We don't see that there's a purpose in the pain. We think that God just forgot about us. When we look at the Bible, hold on. We see that people do suffer that are righteous. Jesus was crucified. So it doesn't always go good for us on earth, does it? Daniel was thrown into the lion's den for praying. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into fire because they wouldn't bow before a statue. Think about all the persecution the church went through. And so the moment we suffer, we now think we're not heirs, right? Like, oh, my gosh, this, this can't be God. Imagine being Paul and Silas, beaten, your backs laid open, you're bloody. Paul, Jesus was whipped 39 times one time. Paul was whipped 39 times three times, the Bible says. That, his, his back was a bloody mess. Okay, three different times in Paul's life, he was beat up. And you know what he said? He said, I'm suffering just like Christ. Because he didn't see the pain different than his purpose. And so often we think the pain is outside of our purpose. Like, God, if you wanted me to be this kind of a person, why did you raise me in a house that was so messed up? Why did you have me be born at a time where, you know, all these problems were in the world? You know, we're not understanding. There's a purpose for the pain. God is working out everything. The curse is real. There was a real rebellion against God. Demons are here. There's a real battle for our souls. There's a curse upon our flesh that it will die, it will lose its memory, right? How many know this? There's a point to men, a time to die. Everyone dies. But how many know there's an inheritance right here, and there's a guarantee that it's going to get better? That Holy Spirit guarantees us that what we just heard today is not on the equivalent of Superman. Superman is a poor shadow of what this really is. 
And so if you don't twist it and say, I believe flesh over spirit. I believe sight over invisible. I believe pain over perfect. If you don't twist it, you can see God work it out. I believe spirit over flesh. I believe what is unseen more than what is seen. I believe the promise more than I believe the trials and the tests. Can I hear an amen to that? Let's give it up for Jesus. Would you stand up with us? Come on, let's give Jesus a standing ovation. Amen. Can we pray as the altar workers come just before we go? Can I pray for you, Lord? I ask you right now that you search our hearts and make us kingdom-minded. If you're here today and you're not kingdom-minded, would you repent of your sin? If there's been any idols you've put before God right now, repent. Say, Lord, I put you first in my life. Confess Jesus as the Lord of your life. Confess him the King of kings over your heart today. Only one person can sit on the throne of your heart. It's yourself or Jesus today. Who gets to sit there? If you haven't been born again, all you have to do is confess Jesus as Lord. He'll spiritually renew you right now. Those who are born again, would you start to surrender your life to him? Say, Lord, search me, know me. Is there any part of my life that I haven't surrendered to your kingdom? Do I say, Lord, here are the boundaries? The kingdom gets to have my problems. The kingdom gets to have my Sundays. But I get to have my work days, my family, and my vacations. Come on. Go without borders today. Say, Jesus, have it all. The old timers used to say he's the Lord of all or he's the Lord not at all. Come on, Jesus, Lord of all, Lord of my family. Jesus, Lord of all. Jesus, you are Lord of all. Jesus. You are Lord of all. Just sing that simple little prayer. Jesus, Jesus, you are Lord. You are Lord of all. Come on, from your heart. Surrender those things. Surrender them. Lord of all. One more time, Jesus. Jesus, you are Lord of all. Now, as he sings, you raise your hands and surrender right now. Come on. Surrender, surrender. Lord, you're Lord of my family. You're Lord of my job. From my head to my wallet, you're Lord today. From my heart to my feet, you are Lord of all today, God. Oh, from my children to my community, from my dreams, oh, my passions, my hobbies. Jesus, you are Lord. a few more times now sing it with them oh Jesus it's not hard to surrender if you know what you're trading it all for you're trading it for Jesus you're trading what you have for what God has oh Jesus Jesus you are Lord of all Jesus you are Lord just the voices in the drum, Jesus, Jesus, you are the And then we're going to shout. Jesus. 
We're going to shout because we got the victory. One, two, three, shout. Come on, give God praise for your inheritance. Your inheritance is great. Woo. Can somebody say amen? Slap your neighbor high five and say you have a great inheritance. Whoa, God bless you. You are dismissed. Have a wonderful week. Come up for prayer for anything, and we would love to pray for you. Otherwise, thank you for coming. We'll see you at Life Groups. Jesus. Feel free just to worship, to pray, to hang out. Those who have to go, take the kingdom with you. Yes, you are.